Good morning. My name is uh, Stan Gale, and I am subbing, subbing for Max this morning while he is uh, on sabbatical. But it is good to be with you, and it's good for us to be able to spend the time that we have in the book of James and be blessed by that. Our text this morning is James 3, verses 13 through 18. Let's give ear to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and errant, and infallible word. James 3, reading at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Wisdom from Above. Let's pray. Father, as we pray before we sit down as a family to eat, recognizing that what we have is from your hand for our nourishment, so Lord, we pray before we partake of this meal from your word. We ask, Father, that you would use it to nourish us, strengthen us, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, We have all heard of Apple watches, but perhaps lesser known are Big Apple watches. Evidently, there's a place, or there are places you can go in New York City, the Big Apple, uh, that, where you can buy Rolex watches for $50. As you uh, would suspect, uh, these Rolexes are knockoffs, and rather than being made of gold, they are made of something that will eventually turn your wrist green. And some people actually go to New York with the plan of buying one of these fake Rolexes. They're called Folex, Folex watches. And I saw a picture on the internet that, uh, of one of these places that sell these watches. And this is what the sign said, genuine fake watches. Isn't that great? Talk about an oxymoron. Uh, but if you go to New York and you're not in the market for a fake watch, you're in the market for a real Rolex, and you buy one of these Folexes, you're going to be disappointed, and you would be ripped off. Well, this morning, James makes a similar 
contrast. In chapter 1, James began his letter by telling us this, that consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kind, kinds, because you know, and then what he goes on to do is to say that you know what God is doing through these trials. You know what he is accomplishing in you. You know that he has brought this trial to tailor to you, to strengthen your, your faith and to bring you closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. But he says in that opening, in his opening verses that for us to find joy in trials, for these trials to accomplish the purpose for which God brought them to our lives, we need wisdom. And then he says, ask wisdom. Ask of God, and he will give you the wisdom that you need to navigate the trial for your spiritual benefit. And he will give uh, generously, lavishly, without reproach. That's chapter 1. But now in James 3, James gives us a heads up. And what he does in this heads up he alerts us to a counterfeit wisdom, a faux wisdom, a knockoff wisdom that is anything but harmless. So this morning, we're going to examine um, James' teaching on wisdom here, and we're going to do it under three headings. Demonstrated wisdom, demonic wisdom, and divine wisdom. So let's begin with demonstrated wisdom. James begins by calling attention to someone exercising wisdom. In verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? So James holds out for us two terms, wise and understanding. And this vocabulary... uh, speaks to uh, understanding, speaks to learning, to the learning we receive. And wise speaks to the skillful application of that learning. So we've got two things that James holds out for us, knowledge and know-how. And what wisdom does is it takes knowledge and it applies it to the situation at hand, whatever it is that we might be going through. Takes the knowledge, the truth of God's Word, and applies it to the situation in which we find ourselves. I mentioned in a previous message that uh, we had our kitchen renovated uh, recently, and that's been a blessing to us. One of the fun things, fascinating really, was um, to watch the workers do their work. They, uh, they laid flooring and installed uh, lighting and cabinets and countertops. And the way they went about their work was just remarkable. They knew what to do, when, and all that. And so um, they knew what they were doing, and they were diligent and skillful in doing it. James here, in this case, calls that being wise and understanding, having both knowledge and know how to accomplish the work they were given to do. And they did a great job. Well, that's the way that wisdom works. Wisdom 
is demonstrated by its workmanship. It shows up in how we handle trials in particular, those times in our lives when we face something, go through periods of great difficulty, but not just trials in particular, but conduct of the Christian life in general. James puts it this way, going on in verse 13, by, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And we get the idea in James that weakness, I'm sorry, uh, wisdom is not something that is academic or philosophical. Rather, wisdom is very blue collar. It gets down to the business at hand of making us not merely hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word, practitioners of the Word, applying it to our lives in life situations, thick and thin. And what does our God want of us? He wants good conduct. Now, what might that be? Well, good conduct refers to behavior that is obedient to God and that honors Him. So that when we hear the word good, it means what God considers good, what God deems good, what He has revealed to us as good. And already uh, in James, he's, we've seen some of the ways that this good conduct is carried out in the way that we treat others, in the way that we use our tongues, um, in the way that uh, we exercise our ambition for the righteousness God requires in any and every circumstance. Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus came just to save us from our sins. Now, it is true that Jesus did come to save us from our sins, to liberate us from the guilt of our sin and the consequences that we deserved, and He took those consequences to Himself. And on the cross, He cried, it is finished, meaning that the debt is paid, our debt is paid, not His, our debt is paid. Jesus came for that, but He didn't just come to save us from our sins. He also came to sanctify us to Himself. And so that when James talks about good conduct, he's talking about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. What it means to have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of life and light in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul he speaks of this when he says in Titus 2, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, and here's the reason, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. See, an aspect of saving faith, this faith that we're saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone, 
shows up, evidence itself, in a life oriented to Jesus Christ. And James says that to to produce the good works as God's workmanship of grace, we need to act in the meekness of wisdom. That's what he puts. That's what he says. In the meekness of wisdom. Now, that's a curious expression, isn't it? The meekness of wisdom. We've got to stop and think for a second. What, what exactly is he getting at there? Well, what James is stressing is our attitude toward wisdom. Our receptivity to it. Meekness is one of those words that can be a little misunderstood. Often when we hear meekness, we think of like wishy-washy or um, non-assertive, weak, weak, something more in the weak thing. But actually in Scripture, meekness is a gentle strength. Meekness exhibits a firm resolve. It exerts a humility that is teachable and compliant. Or we could put it this way. The meekness of wisdom demonstrates this. A humble reliance on God. A humble, unwavering, stalwart reliance on God. If I could put it, In construction terms, wisdom that works to produce good conduct. And that's what James is talking about in verse 3. Producing good conduct. Wisdom that works to produce good conduct always adopts the posture of a subcontractor. Of a subcontractor. Deferring to God. Serving God's ends. Following his blueprint. So this sets the stage for the contrast that James wants to make, a contrast that he wants to make sure that we see in our lives. Because if it's the case that with this wisdom we are to be compliant, we have to be resolved to follow this wisdom, that this wisdom plays a vital role in our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we handle trials, then we need to make sure of this, that the wisdom to which we are entrusting ourselves is a wisdom that is trustworthy. And that's why James says, I want you to have your eyes open as you examine the wisdom of your life. So James goes on to distinguish counterfeit wisdom from genuine wisdom. So that's first heading. Demonstrated wisdom. Second, demonic wisdom. Demonic wisdom. Uh, James calls us to examine the wisdom that we are exercising as we handle whatever it is we're handling in our lives. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. 
So you see where James begins. He begins by having us take a good look at ourselves. What is it that is driving us? What are our goals as we deal with things or as we live our lives? What is motivating our decisions? What sort of lives are we building? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Or are we seeking our own kingdom and a righteousness that suits us? Do our actions... And even as we talk about this, we recognize that we can be blind to these things. And that's why it's so important that we open ourselves up to the Spirit of God to search us. While we open up ourselves to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who can see things in our lives that we might be oblivious to because we need one another. But do our actions reflect bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that seeks our own glory and lordship rather than the glory of Christ and His lordship? Or, as James puts it here, are we being true? Are we being faithful to what God has recorded for us and inscribed for us in His Word, the Bible? Or are we in our pride and arrogance being false to the truth? If we look at our lives and we see this prideful arrogance and selfish ambition at play, if we see ourselves playing loose with the truth God has recorded in the Bible, then James says this, we can be assured that the wisdom we are exercising is not from God. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. My guess is that James talks about this wisdom that contrasts wisdom from above. When he speaks of wisdom, he would put it in quotation marks because it is an alleged wisdom. It is a counterfeit wisdom. It is a pretender. It is a pseudo-wisdom. And you see that he gives to this pseudo-wisdom three descriptors. Three descriptors. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, by earthly, he's talking about, it's in contrast to that which is from above. In other words, that which is part of this fallen world and proceeds from that. The Apostle Paul moves, moves us to this when he speaks of, uh, in Philippians, those who are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. He says this, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. When Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, was dealing with these kinds of things, he put it this way. He said, they do not know 
how to blush. Those who involve themselves in such things that are earthly as opposed to God, in opposition to God, they do not, in their shame, they do not know how to blush. This wisdom is unspiritual. And what that means is that it reflects a spirit, but it is the spirit of this age rather than the spirit, the Holy Spirit. It reflects as John would talk about, the spirit of the Antichrist, that which sets itself in opposition to God and His Christ. And, and James calls this wisdom demonic, meaning that it serves the ends of Satan in rebellion against God. What is... What does this demonic wisdom look like? Well, we see it illustrated in Scripture. In the opening pages of Genesis, where God spoke and brought creation into being from nothing, and He declared it good. And He made, he made human beings, male and female, and He put them in the garden, the Garden of Eden. And he gave them this one command, this one instruction, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, in the garden, Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent. And Satan asked this question. He broached the subject. He began the encounter with Eve by saying, Did God really say not to eat of the tree? So in other words, uh, uh, Satan is putting it on the table. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's decide. Well, Eve responded by citing the commandment of God, meaning that she was uh, aware, she understood. And God has said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But what does Satan say? He said, you will not surely die. And then he goes on to impugn the character of God. Already, he said, he's calling God a liar. But he goes on to say, for God knows that in the day that you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will receive blessing. And what he's saying is that Eve... God does not have your best interest at heart. He wants to deprive you of what is good and healthy. Do you see how demonic wisdom works? It appeals to selfish desire. It pits us against God. Whose counsel will we follow? And it acts on a lie rather than the revealed truth. In other words, it is, what James said earlier, false to the truth. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus responded with Scripture, he responded with quotes from Deuteronomy, well, Satan took the approach of saying, well, 
in one of his temptations, does not Scripture say? And he quoted the Bible himself. Satan quoted the Bible, but in his quoting, what did he do? He twisted it for his own ends to tempt the Lord Jesus. And we see demonic wisdom at work in some hot-button issues of our day as it has been throughout the age. But hot-button issues of our day such as marriage and gender and understanding of sexuality. And Satan says, does God really define marriage? Surely, you can marry whomever you want. Does not God want you to be happy? Does He not want you to follow your heart? Well, God's way to happiness is not right. There are other ways. And doesn't the Bible say that loving yourself is the greatest commandment? So Satan takes Scripture and he twists it for his own ends. On any of these issues, as you deal with them in your life, with your children, with teachers, uh, whatever it might be, listen. Listen for demonic reasoning that opposes God, that is false to the truth, that begins and ends with man, often invoking what experts say, as opposed to God, and offers promise of blessing contrary to God's will and design. Sometimes I'll read letters to the editor in the newspaper, and uh, I see this often, actually, in these people who seek to present Christianity. And you see them presenting a half-baked Christ and half-truth Christianity, where it says Jesus is all about love and acceptance and brotherhood. Leaving out the part where Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Perhaps you've heard people say, doesn't the Bible say, didn't Jesus say, uh, do not judge. But they don't give you the context. That the real meaning of that is not against judgment, but is against judgment with differing measures, where you hold one standard for yourself and another standard for someone else. So we see it in our day. Well, as we look at this demonic wisdom, what's the return? What results can we expect? Well, demonic wisdom reflects this proverb. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end, here's the result, here are the dividends, is the way of death. Look at what James outlines in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, when you think of disorder, just don't think of your teenager's bedroom. It's not just a disorder as in a mess. 
the word that James uses actually has to do with violent rebellion, with mutiny against God. And when he speaks of that which is these vile acts, he's speaking of that which is evil, morally repugnant to the God who is our Father. In other words, rejection and rebellion against what God has given us in His Word, what He has designed for our good, what He has designed for the good of society. Rejection of that will produce division, anarchy, and destruction. So you hear what James is saying. He's saying when it comes to wisdom, the way that you apply knowledge, be very careful that you take a close look at what passes itself off as wisdom. And here's the thing. In this world, in this fallen world, we should expect to see rebellion against God. We can expect to see that which is evil called good. But what's happening is that it is being imported into the church and taught from pulpits. Christian, James is calling each one of us to have our eyes wide open and to be discerning. All right, demonstrated wisdom, demonic wisdom, and our third heading is divine wisdom. So, on the one hand, there is so-called wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And now James juxtaposes, he holds up beside it, an other wisdom. He calls this wisdom from above. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Wisdom from above, that just means it, it comes from God. That it doesn't have its origin in the mind and fallen heart of man. It is God who has given us His truth. And His Word is truth. And it is God who gives us His Spirit so that we can understand the truth and apply this truth in our lives to whatever circumstance in which we find ourselves. Um, I discovered that there are websites uh, that help us know whether a Rolex is real or not. Uh, evidently, there are seven things to check. Uh, there are features like uh, how heavy the thing is, I guess, you know, the, the weighting of the precious metals, whatever it might be, and there are distinctive kind of characteristics, you know, markings with a crown or something like that, and evidently the, the glass uh, the back, the casing is, you can see through it, stuff like that. There are seven things. James lists features of what wisdom from above looks like. And I'm just going to highlight these things. We don't have time to delve into them this morning. Pure. Wisdom from above is pure. That means unadulterated, undiluted, 
undefiled. And this purity suggests a singleness of mind and full-hearted devotion to God. Remember James talked talked earlier about being double-minded? Well, this wisdom from above, it calls us to be single-minded. Not to love God and this from the world, but to love God with the whole of our being, all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. Peaceable, which means undisturbed or settled. This peaceable wisdom promotes well-being, harmony. Gentle. It's, and gentle here is the opposite of violent. Uh, next, uh, when James goes on to next, we get an idea of what violent looks like. Just not to steal Jeff's thunder here, but verse 1, what, uh, chapter 4, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? See, it's the opposite of gentle. Wisdom from above is open to reason. That means there is a willingness on our part to yield. Thy will be done. You know how uh, we're called, James says, to be quick to listen? Well, I think also it could be said we need to be quick to listen to God. That we want to incline our ear to God and what He says as we try to make sense of things. As we, need, as we seek to uh, work through it. Full of mercy and good fruits. What uh, sprung to my mind was uh, we had some zucchini plants uh, when we used to have a garden. And those things would just not stop. They just kept producing these zucchini. Our neighbors hated us. So it was was just uh, bad news. But that's kind of what James has in mind. He's He's talking about this abundant fruitful garden and of course there's uh there's fruit of the spirit love and joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control these things worked out in our hearts individually as we go on christ and in a community we see these things at work and then he says impartial and sincere remember in chapter two we james talked us talked to us about the sin of partiality Well, that's not wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is impartial and sincere, not hypocritical, genuine. So in other words, wisdom from above above, brings us to the heart of God. And it will bring to us the rich nutrients of of God's grace that these fruit of the spirit that these characteristics of godliness might thrive and grow and burst to the glory and beauty of his grace in our lives all right when James described demonic wisdom he said this is what it's going to look like and he talked about disorder vile things he basically he's talking about chaos and anarchy uh, and corruption. But now he tells us what uh, wisdom from above, the outcome of that. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. So what James is saying is, Christian, child of mine, this is what life will look like in your heart when you follow my ways. This is what life will look like when you are true to my word and you seek the Spirit for wisdom in how to apply it to whatever circumstance you are dealing with. What James is describing is exactly what the Apostle Paul is praying for in this prayer from Philippians. Listen. This is Paul's prayer, Philippians 1. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That prayer from Philippians 1, 9-11 is a prayer that should be a daily prayer for ourselves. It should be a prayer for our children. It should be a prayer for those in our church family. It should be a prayer of the elders here as they shepherd the flock under their care. So this morning, James tells us that if we're going to handle trials, if we're going to negotiate life, negotiate life, we need wisdom. But we need to be circumspect. What wisdom are we buying into? One final thought. When we speak of wisdom, in one sense, we're talking about an operating system. An operating system for our lives programmed to the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. Free from malware of the evil one. But for us as Christians, when we talk about wisdom, we are ultimately talking not only about a process, we're talking about a person, Jesus Christ. And as we read, uh, as we heard the scripture reading read for us, Christ, who is the power of God and who is the wisdom of God, who for us became our wisdom our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that by Your Spirit our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may be able to approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, to the glory and praise of your name. Amen.